So uh, I got the privilege to do a wedding in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a wonderful young couple here, uh, Elijah and Morel, got married on that day. It was a beautiful setting, and uh, it was really neat to be able to do the wedding and just enjoy a little bit of Tulsa, and kind of on a last-minute nudge, I think, from the Lord, I drove from Tulsa to Topeka, Kansas, to visit Living Truth Topeka. And some of you are aware that Eric and Melissa Patterson are there ministering. They, uh, God graced them with an old church building, a historic building, uh, built in 1898. And uh, it is right next door to the historic building where the Brown versus Board of Education stuff occurred. And uh, pretty, pretty cool setting. By the way, they got that building for $10,000 which is a miracle of God. It's, it's a historic building sitting on a couple of acres, probably about a 30,000 square foot building. So talk about, uh, uh, we're not in Kansas. So that, that's what I could say. We all know that, right? Can't even touch a thousand square foot house for, anyway, never mind. But uh, it was really neat to be able to worship with them. And so I arrived and they blessed my wife and I with engraved gifts. I don't know how they did this in a couple of days, but it turns out Pastor Eric's dad does engraving, so they pre presented my wife and I with uh, beautiful devotionals and gave me an opportunity to share. And as I was sharing, I just began to cry. And those of you who have been with us a long time know I'm not the most emotional person uh, up here, but I tell you what, I couldn't stop crying. And I didn't even know what the source of the tears was, but I just, I could barely even get out what I wanted to say, and I was a little bit embarrassed in my humanity, because we all like to try to have it together, right, when we're talking to a group of people. And so I felt like the Lord gave me Psalm 121. For them, I, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And so um, Pastor Eric, uh, his, his dad came up to me, who's also in the congregation, and he was telling me about how much the visit uh, my visit to them meant to them, and it meant a lot to me as well. It was a very precious time. Uh, small congregation, uh, Pastor Eric and his wife and uh, some family members do just about everything in that church. But I'll tell you what, it was very, just very precious. And uh, I told the, the congregation, I felt a little bit like Paul Hicks. If you guys know Paul Hicks, he starts talking and he starts crying. And then he tries to pull himself together by going, whew, 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 and it just doesn't work. But anyway, but he's not afraid to emote. And so there I am trying to get words out, crying. And I, I was just trying to figure out what the Lord was doing. And the Lord was doing some different things in my heart. But I will tell you this, uh, sometimes maybe just our tears speak, uh, you know, you don't always even need the words. And I think that that's part of what the Lord was doing. And then you come to find out through some sharing within the congregation, there are a lot of people going through a lot of stuff. And uh, maybe that's what they needed to see. And this is my conjecture. Maybe that was what the Lord wanted to convey that day, is I care about you. I'm not far from you. I know what you go through. I know your struggles. And we are going to look at a message today called He Has Visited Us, and that's kind of the, that's the track we're going down. 
is a God who prepared history for the arrival of the Messiah to enter into our world. When he was conceived in the womb of Mary, he was truly a preborn, if you want to say fetus. He grew in her womb. He was born. He was a child. He grew up. He experienced everything that we experience as humans. He became one of us. He is still theologically, this is how we still understand Jesus, 100% God and 100% man. Hebrews 4, which we'll study next Sunday, talks about he can empathize and sympathize with us because he's not only fully human, but in all points tested as us, yet without sin. And where we have failed, he succeeded. Where we have fallen, you know, he stood in for us. And that's where all of this is leading. It's Luke 1, verse 56, and it says this. Mary stayed with her, Elizabeth, about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you as we look at the birth of John the Baptist and uh, see how the prophecy of Zacharias leads us to the sunrise of the Messiah, the light of the world how John's birth was miraculous in its own right, how it would prepare the way, he would prepare the way for the Messiah, how his life would be so significant, turning the heart of the nation of Israel, the hearts of the fathers back to the children, bringing the hearts of the people back to God, saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. There at the Jordan, when Jesus comes, behold, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of your sandal, Lord. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, John, let's do this that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, that you fulfilled everything where we have failed. Thank you, Lord, that you bore our sins at the cross on the tree. You rose for our justification. We're just so grateful. And I pray that you would minister to your people and be glorified as we handle the word of God in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now notice in verse 56, the three months mentioned there may point to the fact that Mary was there for the birth of John. We know him as John the Baptist. And if she was there, she may have been included, if you peek at verse 58, in the group of neighbors and relatives that had seen the display of the Lord's mercy towards Elizabeth and Zacharias. One author I read this week conjectures that perhaps Mary, upon the birth of John, handed the newborn to Elizabeth, which is a cool thought. It's conjecture. But if so, it would have cemented more the miracle that happened to Mary and was going to happen to Mary and Joseph in her heart. But it also would have been Mary handing the forerunner of her own son to the mother or the forerunner to his mother of her own son, Jesus, who would come. And perhaps that was stirring something in Mary's heart. But it's a beautiful picture of these two ladies being together, probably talking for many times over about the names that they had been given of these two children that were to be born. One would be called John. His name means the Lord is gracious. The other would be called Jesus. His name means the Lord is salvation. The reason that the Lord saves us is because the Lord is gracious. He's not wishing or willing that any perish, but all 
come to repentance. And so this whole uh, account is uh, the grace of God, the tender mercy of God sprinkled throughout it, and it is indeed a miracle. And the neighbors and the relatives, 58, uh, heard that the Lord, when they had heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, specifically Elizabeth here, they were rejoicing with her. And so when the neighbors and relatives heard, and she kept herself in seclusion earlier in Luke chapter 1 for quite a long time. I think it says five months she was secluded. So when she finally revealed that she was pregnant, uh, perhaps this was new news to a lot of the people in the Judean hills in the neighborhood. And when they heard that the baby had been born, they all came and they began to rejoice together. And we are in a season of rejoicing. Amen? The Advent season, you guys out there? Amen? Amen. The Advent season is a time to rejoice for what the Lord has done. And we've taken a break from the book of Exodus and we are moving through some of these Advent messages to highlight the good news of the great joy that God has brought into the world. The Lord loves to display his mercy, verse 58. And that's what he does. If you are interested, the themes of mercy saturate chapter one in Luke 150. Verse 54, 58, 72, and 78. Mercy, 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 and rejoicing at what had occurred. The Bible says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. Amen? There is rejoicing in heaven over one. And what's beautiful about this is that God cares about the one. He knew that Elizabeth desperately wanted to provide offspring For Zacharias, he knew of her barrenness. I wonder, since she was in the autumn of her life, she was an older woman, I wonder how many times she had prayed for a son. I wonder if she had come to the conclusion that it's just not going to happen. And maybe, you know, God's will is something else. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in a season of life, life that we might least expect it, the God of miracles does a miracle. And his tender mercy was poured out toward her. Look at the middle of verse 58, toward her. And that tells me that God cares about individuals. He cares about you. He knows your pain, your sorrow, your struggles. He is concerned about individuals, but he's also working on many levels because he's about to do something corporately that's going to impact the whole world. It's going to impact Israel and the whole world because John is going to come on the scene and turn a nation back to God. And here in the early you know, accounts of his life, there is great rejoicing. Uh, the Lord loves to display, 58, his great mercy, and his mercy brings joy. Amen? For all of us, Romans 3.23, have fallen, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly, Romans 3.25, as a propitiation or payment or satisfaction in Christ's blood through faith. If you're ever wondering about God's love for you, God displayed his love for us at the cross. Here's how Romans 5.8 puts it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul uses a merchandising term here for display, that comes from the world of jewelry. And some of you, I can feel that you've done some desperate Christmas shopping uh, 
some of you have found your way to the jewelry case. Can I get a witness? And here's what the jewelers do. They will put a, a brilliant gem on display, put it on a dark velvet background, and shine the most brilliant light on it so that when you are there, you will kind of go, and it will quickly pass you by that it's three not-so-convenient payments of $999, right? And, and this is what jewelers do. They want to bring out the beauty of the, of the gem. And when God wanted you to know the beauty of his love for you, he put his love on display at the cross. This is the language in the Greek. He put his most precious gift, his son, there for all to see. And this is why whenever we might be struggling or doubting, you know, God's love for us or his mercy or who, you know, is God, do I really understand and know this is what God has done. The Bible tells us we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, Romans 12, 15, and weep with those who weep. And here the neighborhood, the relatives are coming and it, the place was filled with joyous laughter. It would be good if we could laugh a little bit more, don't you think? We have gotten, maybe perhaps some of us, a little too serious about life. Let's turn over to Genesis 21. I have no doubt, Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, that these ladies and these neighbors were thinking back to a story in the Old Testament. And there was a couple named Abraham and Sarah. Uh, in their older years, the promise first articulated of a son from his own body when Abraham was 75. The promise was realized when he was 100 years old. Wow, <laughs> that is amazing. He was 100 years old, and they waited on the Lord for 25 years for laughter to come. Here's the account. Genesis 21.1 says, The Lord took note of, he was gracious to NIV, he visited ESV Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And so Sarah, Genesis 21, 2, conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac or Isaac. Isaac's name literally means laughter. And I wonder how many times old Abraham and Sarah, she's 90 looked at this child and just began to laugh. I mean, who would have thunk it? <laughs> a hundred-year-old dude, probably moving relatively slow at a hundred, <laughs> and a woman, <laughs> 90, would have this child. It brought a laughter, not kind of a laughter like a coarse laughter. It brought a laughter of joy, of surprise, and I think throughout all eternity, this is the laughter that's going to fill the halls of heaven. Amen? I think it's going to be a joy and a rejoicing as to what God has done and how he brought us into the kingdom. And so Sarah had this promise uh, realized in her life. And when she was asking questions about it, it was told of her, is anything too difficult for the Lord Genesis 18, 14. Mary said the same thing. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel replied, Luke 1, 37. 
Nothing will be impossible with God. And so Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, verse 4, Genesis 21, when he was eight days old. Now that was the, the uh, rite of circumcision, the Abrahamic covenant. On the eighth day of the child's life, you can write down Genesis 17. I think it's about verse 12. As God had commanded Abraham, so he did. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne to him a son in his old age. And so this baby that was born would be a foreshadowing of another baby, a miracle birth that would be born. And that's the birth of Jesus. And as this child grew, this child called laughter, God, in the very next chapter, Genesis 22, tells Abraham to do something unthinkable. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, take him up to a mountain that I will show you, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. And Abraham saddled the donkeys, remember, early in the morning, and he went in obedience to God to a place called Mount Moriah. And we know 2,000 years later, on that area of Mount Moriah, Jesus Christ, the greater Isaac, if you will, the one that brings laughter in the best sense to the whole world of the redeemed, was offered on that hill 2,000 years later. And when Abraham raised the knife, the angel of the Lord said, don't touch the lad. I know that you fear me. And then he pronounces a blessing and he swears by his own name that he's gonna bless Abraham's seed, In Galatians 3.16, that seed is Christ. And Abraham was spared the pain that another father, God the Father, would not spare himself as the knife, if you will, came down on his own beloved son. This is the prophetic picture. This is the miracle of not only John the Baptist's birth, but, of course, the miracle of Jesus' birth himself. And so into this area of the world, comes the forerunner and the Messiah back to Luke chapter one. I think much to the surprise of many, both in the case of Sarah and Abraham and Zacharias and Elizabeth, God has done an amazing thing and he has displayed his mercy and he loves to do it. He loves to do it in our life. He loves to do it for other people. And so it came about, Luke 159, that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Now we fast forward to the day of John's birth to the eighth day of his young life. And so Zacharias is a priest and he is a committed Jewish man. So he's going to honor the circumcision on the eighth day of the Abrahamic covenant. And what we understand from what was going on in these times is the head of the house, namely Zacharias, would perform the circumcision. And so he would take the child And he would perform the rite of circumcision on John on the eighth day. Exodus 22.30 is talking about giving back the firstborn uh, to the Lord. And it talks about this, and this is an insight into what circumcision means. It means that when you give God back uh, in circumcision, in, in the New Testament pictures, the circumcision of our heart, you are giving yourself, or in this case, this child, back to God. When we come up and we pray over a little child and they are dedicated in the Christian church, that's essentially what we're saying. Lord, 
this is a gift from you. We give this child back to you. That's what circumcision was all about. May this child enter into the Abrahamic covenant. May this child be saved by the same faith that Abraham exercised. May this child be used for your glory. Zacharias was still silent, but he would have performed the right, and he would have done this as, of course, as John's father. Here's Exodus 29, I'm sorry, 22, 29, and 30. It says, You shall not delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. The firstborns of your son you shall give to me, Exodus 22, 30. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. Even the offering of the firstborn of both human and animal was given officially to the Lord on the eighth day. The eighth day is a number of new beginnings. It's a number of a new start. And in this case, it has the idea of being dedicated back to God. And all of you who are in Christ Jesus, and we're going to talk about this when we do a message in January, you have had a new beginning in Christ. Amen? And God is not really concerned about the circumcision that has to do with the flesh. The outer sign points to an inward sign. And here's what it is. The cutting away of the flesh is a picture of your devotion to God And he's more concerned about the heart than anything else. And so this is what this came to symbolize. And the family was all there, and they were all excited, and they're there for the eighth day, and they thought, surely, well, this this boy's going to be called Little Zach. I mean, that's that's what they do. They name children typically after their own father. Maybe they started calling him Little Zach, Little Zach, probably maybe trying to comfort him a little bit as he was whimpering from the circumcision, and his mother answered and said, No, 60. Indeed, he shall be called John. Now, I know for those of you who have gone through the naming process of a child, it's all people are full of healthy feedback for you, annoying feedback for you, right? right? Oh, I think this would be a wonderful name. I think this is, and the more cooks that you get in the kitchen, the more the spices spill on the floor, if you know what I'm saying. But anyway, But the people all thought, surely this is little Zacharias. Zacharias is a great name after his father. Look at what the Lord has done. And Elizabeth said, no, his name shall be called the Lord is gracious. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father. Zacharias, what do you think? As to what he wanted him to be called. Now, there are some commentators that believe that when Zacharias went mute for about a year, he may have lost his hearing as well. This is an insight that maybe that was the case, because why would you make signs? What do you want to call the baby? What's the name of the baby? Zacharias, right? (laughs) Now, if he had his hearing, it would be even more strange if they were making signs to him, right? You're like, "Uh, I can hear you. How many of you have ever met a person who doesn't speak English, for example? And maybe you were in a foreign land or something, and you said, do you understand English? And they were like, and you say it louder just to confirm. Do you understand English? (laughs) Saying it louder, getting closer to their face does no good. Amen? So here they were 
trying to confirm. They made signs. What do you want to call him? And he asked for a tablet. In the Greek, this is an iPad mini. Write that down for your notes. And he wrote as follows. His name is John. As if to say, I will not make the same mistake twice. I will believe that this is the name that the angel gave, and I am going to call him John. Now, this man had been silent for almost a year. He couldn't communicate. When the two moms were together, he couldn't say anything. He was mute. His ability to speak was gone. And students of of Scripture, I want you to see, Zacharias is a picture of Israel. There hasn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. God has been silent to the nation. Why has he been silent? One word, unbelief. Unbelief will close your mouth when you ought to be speaking. It will make you timid when you ought to be standing boldly. Amen? I know, even hard truth you can say amen to, right? And so here he went a year without being able to talk. And when the opportunity was presented to him, he said, no, this boy's name will be called the Lord is gracious. This couple was firm and steadfast. And they didn't want to mess up. John did, or Zacharias didn't want to mess up again. And so he said firmly, his name will be called John. And at once, 64, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak praise in praise of God. Now, as soon as he said emphatically, his name will be John, God touched his mouth. And I believe, brethren, that when we get back to a place where we are taking God at his word, when we're believing and saying to him, you know what, Lord, I believe you can use this life, this mouth for the furtherance of your kingdom, God will touch you. God will strengthen you. Now, I'm not making any guarantees about what he might do in your life, but I think, you know, during that year, can you imagine the prayers that Zacharias must have prayed? Maybe he said something like this, Lord, if you ever... Loose this tongue again, I will speak praise to you without a doubt. Lord, if you give me another lap around the track, and I know that some of you have prayed this way during tough seasons of your life, if you give me another chance to run around the track, I'm not going to be ashamed of your gospel. You know, when, you're, when your mortality is in front of you, brethren, when you come through a season of life where all of a sudden things that you took for granted aren't so easy anymore, You start thinking about, if I get another chance, this is what I'm going to do with this instrument that you've given to me, Lord. And I'm sure Zacharias prayed many prayers like that. And the Lord blessed him and let him speak again. I heard a story of a man who had taken a vow of silence. Uh, He went into a monastery. He was a priest. And the, the commitment was a year of silence and then when you uh, broke the silence once a year, at the end of that year, you can only say a couple of words. So at the end of the first year, a vow of silence, they asked him if he wanted to share anything, and he said, bed hard. 
And then another year of a vow of silence. And at the end of that second year, what do you want to share? And he said, food cold. Then he went another year with a vow of silence and he was done with it. He's like, I'm out of here. I don't care anymore. I'm not going to do this vow of silence anymore. And they responded, well, we're not surprised. You've done nothing but complain since you've been in this place. Even the ability to speak can be something we take for granted. But everything that we have is from the Lord. And I think Zacharias probably said, Lord, if you allow me to speak again, I will speak in praise. And at once, as the phone rang, his mouth was opened. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) His tongue loosed. And he began to exalt the Lord. And fear came on all those living around them. The neighbors were filled with awe, NIV, middle of 65. And all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, ESV. They laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. As the neighbors and relatives were getting the full story of this birth and to elderly parents, and then the loosing of Zacharias's tongue and how he began to praise God, they, they were like, wow, who is this baby gonna be? His name's not little Zach, his name's John. The Lord is gracious. What is the Lord doing? And they began to think about it, and they began to do kind of what we call Selah in the Psalms. They began to pause and ponder these things in their hearts. Spiritual conversations We're going on in the Judean hills and spiritual contemplation. And I will tell you this, whenever that's happening in a home or a marriage or a neighborhood, you're at a pretty good spot. Spiritual conversations, spiritual contemplation. This is the language used of Mary in a few occasions. Take a look at Luke 2, 17. The shepherds coming now to the newborn Jesus. When they had seen this, Luke 2, 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Skip down to Luke 2.49. Jesus, probably at his first Passover since he was 12 and he became a man at the age of 13 in Jewish culture, he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Luke 2.49, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand the statement which Jesus had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is what was happening to the neighbors and the relatives. They were kind of going, hmm, what is God doing? And I would encourage you maybe during this holiday season to slow down just for a couple of moments and pause and ask the question, Lord, what may you be saying to my heart? What might you want to do in my life or in the life of a child that's come into our family, etc.? Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, New Living Translation. The news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him, 
in a special way. You know, we have a lot of young ones around living truth. We have a new, beautiful child in our own family. And I would encourage you, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, to pray some bold prayers over your children. Not necessarily about athletic prowess or high education or a great position in the world. Those things are not bad. But how about, Lord, would you use this child in a special way to extend your kingdom? I wonder how many prayers like that we've prayed over our children. And so this baby has come into the world. Zacharias' tongue is loosed, and he's filled, 67, with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to prophesy, saying, Now, he had watched a few people be filled with the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the the Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, Luke 1.15. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit in Luke 1.41. Mary gave her Magnificat, surely under the uh, uh, Holy Spirit's power in Luke 1.35. And then following, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon her, but then in Luke 1.55, she begins in Magnificat. But Zacharias had been waiting in silence. And now he gets to articulate a messianic sunrise. He begins to focus his prophecy on the coming of the Messiah. Prophecy is actually a New Testament gift. 1 Corinthians 14 says prophecy is for exhortation, consolation, edification. In the New Testament setting, we're not adding anything to the word of God. So when we prophesy, it's to build up or comfort. Prophecy actually does occur in the preaching of the word of God. And I'm not prophesying in the sense of new revelation, but I am bringing out the meaning of the text, and often God will give words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, to build up, to console, to exhort God's people, amen? But here, this is going to be recorded in Scripture, and scholars have said that what Zacharias is about to share has at least 30 allusions to the Old Testament scriptures. This was a man who was saturated in the Bible. And now as the Holy Spirit came upon him, he began to declare the coming of the Messiah and the wonder that God had done. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the early church is waiting for the day of Pentecost to occur and arrive. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon the church in Acts chapter 2. And he lights upon each one there with tongues, as it were, as a fire. And they begin, begin to speak. The language is represented in a major feast day as all these Jewish people from all these foreign lands descend upon Israel for the Feast of Pentecost, one of three major feasts that you had to attend as an able-bodied male. And they hear the people, largely from Galilee, in their own native tongue declaring, do you remember? the wonderful works of God. They say this in Acts 2.11. We hear in our own native tongue them speaking of the wonderful deeds of God. And then Peter begins to preach the gospel and 3,000 people come into the kingdom. Dr. Walter Martin used to say, without even the use of a megaphone, Peter preaches the gospel by the power of the Spirit And 3,000 souls flood their way into the kingdom and then get baptized. When Jesus moved by a man born blind, the apostles asked a legitimate question, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? And Jesus said, neither him 
nor his parents sinned. This has happened that the wonderful deeds of God might be made manifest in him. And that man, whose eyes were once blind, had them opened by the power of Christ. A tongue once muted, now opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Zacharias begins to declare the glorious praises of God. One evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is that your focus is about God and not about everything else. Amen? Your focus becomes the glory of God and how other people can be touched by the tender mercy of God. And Zacharias opens his prophecy in this way. Blessed be, 68, the Lord God of Israel. In the Latin Vulgate, it reads this way, Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel. I bring it up because this song has been famously called the Benedictus. And in the sense of a benediction, when we say benediction, we are talking about a closing prayer, typically, that exalts God. Amen? And so this is the Benedictus from the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation. And here is his song. And he starts off with, Blessed be the name of the Lord, or blessed be the Lord God of Israel. I would encourage you that maybe next time you pray, start your prayer that way. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen. Here, blessed be your name. The idea of blessing God is interesting because usually when we think of blessing, we think, God, please bless me, us, dot, dot, dot. But the way that you bless the Lord is to exalt his name. Amen? That is a blessing to him. Now, you're not adding anything to him. Lord, I really pray that your day would be blessed. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you can't bless God's day. He's already perfect. But this is the idea of exalting his name. And to me, this will bring your prayer always in a right trajectory if you start with the glory and exaltation of God instead of going immediately down your laundry list of needs and wants. Amen? Amen. And so, blessed be. Uh, several times in the, Old, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1.3 Ephesians 1.3 and 1 Peter 1.3, letters open with blessed be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3. I want you to turn to one in your New Testament. I hope this will encourage you. 2 Corinthians, turn over there for a moment. Chapter 1. Hopefully we can get it up on the screen if you don't have your Bible right in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a look at what Paul writes as he opens the letter to the Corinthians. He says, 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, verse 5, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Many blessed bees in the Bible that go into great truths. If you turn back to Luke, let me give you just a few psalms. 
to bless you. This is Psalm 31, 21. It says, blessed be the Lord who has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. Psalm 41, 13 says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 68, 19 says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. Selah. David put it this way, Lord, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and moon and stars that you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? Blessed be your name all over the Bible. And so Zacharias says, verse 69 of Luke 1, you have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. A horn is a symbol of strength. And it pictures an ox or a buffalo who's about to do something dangerous, swaying back and forth with those impressive horns, ones that you don't want to get in the way of. Amen? It's a sign of, a horn is a sign of strength. And Jesus Christ is depicted in Revelation 5, 6. I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. Remember this? having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. When it says that Jesus has seven horns, it's the idea of perfect strength. The one who died on the cross for us has perfect strength. He was power under control. Meekness is the word here. And it speaks of power under control. Just think of how many times Jesus could have used his power for more things. Like, for example, he said, don't you know, I could call 12 legions of angels down right now, but then how would the plan of salvation, my father's plan, be fulfilled? Amen? Power under control. Sometimes we feel like we want to repay evil for evil and insult for insult. Amen? (laughs) And the Lord says, hold your tongue. You could say that right now. It might feel good in the moment to throw a zinger or two back at that person. But all it will do is leave your spouse laying bleeding on the ground. Amen? Not a good move for your marriage. And so you might have the power to articulate something harsh. But you say, Lord, put a gate over my mouth, right? And it's always a wonderful thing when the Lord grants you the strength. He is mighty, mighty to save. We'll move quickly now. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. All of history was pointing towards this. Salvation from our enemies, 71, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, and I want you to mark this, brethren, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now, no doubt, part of Zechariah's prayer has in mind the Roman occupation happening in the land of Israel. And this kind of looks a little bit political, like, Lord, deliver us from our enemies. But the ultimate enemies that we need to be delivered from are what? They are sin, death, the devil, and judgment. 
And so, yes, the Jewish people have suffered terrible things from the hands of Pharaoh and Haman and Herod and Hitler. But here, in verse 74, it's the idea of true freedom. Take a look at it, end of the verse. That being delivered from the hand of our enemies, this is what the Lord wants for you, that you and I might serve him without fear. I don't know how long Zacharias lived. I don't know if he got to see anything that his son did in the nation of Israel. He was already an older guy. But prophetically, he got to see, if you will, into the future. And the Lord would deliver Israel ultimately in salvation through Christ. And he wants you to to serve him the rest of your days without any more fear. And some of you are throttled by fear. Right now, our culture is right, right at a place once again of fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of this, fear of that, fear of people's opinions, fear of what's going to happen to me. And the Lord says, I want you to be free to serve me without fear. The fear of man is a snare, amen? But the Lord doesn't want you to be fearful. He wants you to know if he is for you, who can be against you, amen? And he wants us to serve him in holiness and righteousness or rightness all of our days. All of my days were written in his book before one of them came to pass. And then he has a tender moment with his child. I'm sure John probably still whimpering from the pain of circumcision. He says, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He had a moment with an eye lock. You know, it's really easy to do a stare eye lock with a baby. Amen? Uh, I have been doing this with Melody. Melody, who's back in the back row with her mama. And she just looks, and she'll stay fixed on one point. You don't know if she's really looking at you. If she is, it's probably because she thinks your face is bizarre. But I do some of this, Melody, Melody. (laughs) And it's a stare off. And it it does feel like you can stare at this child for hours, amen? (laughs) And there's a beauty there. And I wonder for Zacharias just how that felt to say, and you, child, you will be the prophet of the Most High. I can't believe you're here. I can't believe this has happened. And you're gonna lead a nation back to God. Because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us. The dawn will break upon us from on high, New English Bible. And then the final verse, to shine upon those who sit or literally are sitting in darkness and the shadow of death to guide them or guide our feet into the way of shalom, into the way of peace. Final story account in scripture. There was a woman who had a hemorrhage of blood. I think Luke tells us it was happening for 12 years. And remember, she said famously, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she waded through the crowd and she touched his garment. And at once power left the Messiah and the hemorrhage was dried up and she was healed on the spot. And Jesus said, who touched me? And she was there trembling and he turned and it's like everything stopped and he turned to her and she was fearful And he said these words, don't be afraid, 
Your faith has made you well. This is literally how it reads in Luke 8.48. Go into the way of peace. This is what the Lord wants for each of us. To go into the way of peace. To know a peace that passes understanding. To know the Prince of Peace. And to know that he is our peace. Father, thank you for this account in Luke chapter 1. Famously called the Benedictus. Thank you for the miracle of the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner, who would say to the nation of Israel, prepare ye the way of the Lord, who would grow up in the deserts and make his public appearance and call the nation back to God, call the hearts of fathers back to their children. Jesus, you would come to him at the Jordan. And he would say, Lord, I'm not worthy to even untie the thong of your sandal. And there he'd have the privilege of baptizing God the Son and saying, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. I would ask you just take a moment of reflection. And if you haven't known the way of peace, if you don't know that you have peace with God right now, through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not in a relationship with him, he came to bring ultimate peace, peace between you and God. He did that through the cross and the resurrection. If you never asked him into your life, it's something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our world, becoming one of us, living the perfect life that I could never live, dying on that terrible cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. I trust you as my King, my Lord, my Savior, and my God. Please forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name. If you're a prodigal and you've been, maybe you've been kind of silent for a while. Maybe your praises have been few. Your complaints have been many. Maybe you've been a little quiet when there's a public debate. Maybe your confidence has ebbed a bit. Pray that the Lord would renew your faith as you give your heart back to him fully. And for the saints that are here, Lord, my prayer is that you would bless them, keep them, let your beautiful face filled with light shine upon them. Be gracious to them and grant them shalom. Grant them peace and strength. May they have a blessed uh, Christmas season, Lord, with all the blessings that you've bestowed upon each one of us. And we are grateful. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.